Live from Beit Shemesh and broadcasted around the world, you are listening to the From Entrepreneur Podcast with your host, Nahum Klegman. Interviews and advice from Jewish entrepreneurs from around the world. Listen, learn, be Masliach. Welcome to episode five of the From Entrepreneur. And today I am sitting here with my great friend, Harry Moskoff. Harry is an entrepreneur's entrepreneur. He is cut from the same cord as me. You can hear over this interview. He has some incredible stories. You know, if he was in water tech, he's a patent lawyer, he's a producer, an author. Um, one of the things I really love about Harry, and we're going to you know, hear it throughout this interview, is that you know, I think real entrepreneurs have what's called the no fear factor. Right, and that, and that way uh, we're pretty similar. And that you know, if it's a challenge, there's no fear. Just go and do it. There's no fear, you know, in uh, taking on the challenges. And you know, I've seen that throughout my entrepreneurial career. And uh, you know, you hear from Harry about all the things he's gotten into over the last you know twenty some odd years of being an entrepreneur himself. And I think you know, as I'm interviewing and speaking to more and more entrepreneurs, you know, not having that fear to take that leap, not having that fear to do something you've never done before, I think is a common factor amongst entrepreneurs. So, you know, without further ado, I want to introduce to you uh, to Harry Moskov. Harry, thank you. Welcome to the show. Great to be here. Thank you. I want to get a little bit into your background, you know, how you begun, how you started. You know, we went over some of these questions before and you, you answer a lot of them in, you know, when we're preparing for this podcast. So maybe we'll just do it like that because there's just so much I want to touch upon and, you know, our time is limited. So uh, first of all, thank you for your time. So let's go into the first question. And that is, what would you say is your biggest strength as an entrepreneur? Well, first of all, uh, again, thanks for having me on the show. And it's a great thing. I do think we do have a lot in common. And uh, sorry about the mess of Pesach cleaning, of course. <laughs> but it's a great a break for me and, and doing something. I also love to do this and share information. And I, you know, I take after you also in that regard. But in terms of uh, strengths as an entrepreneur, I think that... The biggest strength is the, well, there are a couple. Number one is the no fear factor, definitely. Not to go out there and contribute and innovate and not to be afraid, but do it smart. And of course, you learn on the way. The second thing I would say would be the fact that you're willing to take those risks. Just besides the not having no fear, you actually have to be willing to put money aside, you know, put a certain amount of marketing, make that budget, go do the fundraising, get that first, you know, that first big break, go right. for it, and then get your advisors, take that risk, even you know, against the negativity. There are many other factors on the way, but those two, the persistence, is extremely important. The never-say-die attitude. That's right. And unless, that, I can add the third thing. There does come a time, though, when every CEO has to come and say, you know what, this is the end of this project, and there is a time limit for it. This is a testing time, and I'm only going to spend this amount of money. And then after that, we're going to move on to the next. Right. It's funny, the, you know, I think that's one of the, uh, you know, I haven't spoken to an entrepreneur yet that hasn't had a failed project. <laughs> and that's something I, I like to talk about because, you know, when you're starting off as an entrepreneur, uh, you don't have that fear of failing. You know, I can't tell you how many times I failed. I'm sure you've yes, had your, your share of fails and successes. Um, and what's good is that when you succeed is that people don't really talk about the failures as much. Right. But um, and, and something that you actually mentioned to me when we were preparing for the show and uh, that is that, you know, every experience that we have, no matter what the opportunity is or what the experience has been, it's experience. 
you know, right. everything you've done, you know, we've learned from our mistakes. We've learned from our challenges. We've learned from what worked or hasn't worked. And that's just made us a strong entrepreneur. True. Absolutely. When I first started, when I was a teenager, I was actually a musician uh, at Berkeley, at Interlochen, uh, in jazz, a jazz <laughs> yeah. drummer. Musician and, also. <laughs> a composer. That's where I get this creative drive that's, you know, this need to innovate. But uh, I was there on scholarship for many years, and I finally graduated at York University in Toronto uh, with a BFA. But after that, I decided, you know what, this is great to be a musician, to go and do everything that I try to pursue that career. But that didn't really work monetarily. I wanted to start a family, etc. And also I was getting more inspired at the time at Yeshiva, trying to go that route, more religious. And uh, I started getting these other jobs. Uh, some of them worked, some of them didn't. At first I was like, uh, you know, as you were saying, I sort of felt like a failure. Maybe the musician wasn't, uh, I didn't quite make it, you know, quote unquote, as a musician. I didn't play with the greats that I that wanted to. But I decided I did make a decision besides, you know, playing on Shabbat and, you know, I was becoming religious at the time, so I had to make decisions. But I started to get into IT at the time. And I think this was around 1996 or so, 97. And I went uh, back to school and I, I got a certificate in applied IT information technology. And I got some jobs working for mutual fund companies in Toronto. Interesting. It was. I ended up at CIBC Mellon for many years in system support over there in downtown Toronto. So that was a, a combination of failures and how to deal with, you know, I was wearing my kippah and how to deal with bosses that are, <laughs> you know, not exactly, it's sort of like the glass ceiling, you know? Right. But so, you, so you're doing IT and this is in 96, you said? 96 to around uh, 2000. And you were married at this point? Yeah. So you're already married, you're living in Toronto. Yeah. And when did you get the bug to move to Israel or, was, or were you doing IT until you moved to Israel? Well, what happened was that's really sort of where my entrepreneurial skills and, and really where I started to inspire to do something on my own. And that in turn inspired us moving to Israel. I started my own company called eWaterTech in Toronto, which is, uh, it had nothing to do with what I was doing in CMC Mellon. <laughs> There's no music, no IT. <laughs> no, it was sort of indirectly related with coming up with the solution. Uh, Toronto had this, uh, apparently had this major crisis, this water crisis in Northern Ontario, and people were dying left, right, and center. And the fact that the matter is there was no one there was no automated checking for contaminants in drinking water huh. it was like four times a year or maybe twice a year by government standards so i developed this whole laser technique that would be sort of like this scanner you know that you um you take your groceries and like a barcode scanner but it goes into water oh and wow it was, yeah it was cool so we have patents for that and i developed those and that led me to going into being a patent and trademark agent etc but uh in answer to your question all of that, because of the water technology in Israel, we decided to do a technology transfer after a couple of years, after starting the company in Toronto, and, and move it to here. So I decided to, you know what, I went on a, a trip with uh, Nefesh Benefesh, a pilot trip, and we got the necessary um, go-ahead from the Technion. Oh, wow. And we came over, yeah. Did, did you have any Hebrew when you made this Yeah, move? I was lucky. Oh, yeah? <laughs> Two things. I was lucky. Baruch Hashem. Uh, number one, I went to a, a Zionist uh, Hebrew school, oh, Toronto, wow. day, a Hebrew day school in right. Toronto. My wife is Israeli. That oh, helps. fantastic. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I was, uh, you know, I could get by and took Olpan, you know. Uh -huh. Okay, so you came here and you said, you know, I'm taking my e-water tech, let's bring it to Israel, fulfill your dream of living here, and right. Israel's at the forefront of technology and especially uh, water technology. That's right. And so at this point, you already were a patent lawyer or you decided to do that once you were here? You said you, you had done some of your own patenting for the e-water tech? Right, that's correct. That's actually how I got my own. I wanted to save uh, money at the time and I was very good in research and analysis from my IT days. 
So I started doing all the work myself, and I didn't even realize that this is what lawyers do for a living, <laughs> you know, patent agents. And I, I didn't become a registered uh, lawyer, attorney, but I became one beneath that called an agent. Right. And when I came here, Nefesh Benefesh looked at my resume, even as an entrepreneur, because there were ups and downs, of course, and uh, the Technion didn't come through at one point. It was very disappointing. But uh, I was moving on, at any rate, with other things, with Makarot. At any rate, at that point, I said, you know what, let's try something else, maybe in the same field, maybe not. I sent it to Nefesh, and they came back with this incredible Chiddush. Yeah. They said, look, you've got, you've done, I did, I think, three of my own patents. I did the research. I did the abstracts, all the descriptions. My dad is a crown attorney. That oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, for the Supreme Court so in Ontario. So basically what we did, I think I got it from there maybe, but what happened was uh, they said, try it out. And sure enough, I sent, I corrected my resume and I started getting work because I could charge much less than an attorney and do basically the same thing. Right. And I started working for law firms here. Oh, that's awesome. So they would farm out the work to you and they just had to review it and... Yeah, like I would be there. I would actually work there in, in Tel Aviv and Renana and uh, also in Chovot at these different firms. And I would take... Uh, different sections that I would specialize in. Mobile technology was one of them. Of course, water technology. Right. So what happened with the water tech in the end? The Technion, they too much paperwork for them to handle? Well, I'll or... tell you, since, since I'm on the show, yeah. maybe this will help your listeners. Uh, what happened was I met with the professors. This is on the pilot trip. And it was great, guys. And I shared all my findings and my technology, which was patent pending at that time. And... Um, Two years later, we were in touch off and on because we... we well, I'm sorry, what year was this? When did you make... The, the pilot trip was when? Pilot trip was 2004. And then you made Aliyah in 2005. Right. I started the company in 2000. And then I made Aliyah in 2005, right? Okay. So a couple of years later, we were in touch back and forth with the professors. All of a sudden, I don't hear anything. <laughs> and uh, I got a letter from Century 20... What's it called? Uh, Century 21 or Technology 20. It's a big website here, a technology website, something 21. Okay. <laughs> They're still doing their thing. At any rate, my friend sent to me uh, this big headline that said, NASA comes up with $600 million grant from uh, the government and other governments with this new water technology. Oh, wow. And uh, in, in alliance with uh, the Technion. Technion. No way. Yeah. So that was, <laughs> I, I remember the day I read that. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah, 600 million bucks. So, uh, and of course, I, after that, I contacted them, myself, the professors, and I contacted the president of, of the Technion, of that group, of that water division, and all of the uh, professors. Right. And we got together, and they were just like, sorry. Sorry? <laughs> that was it. They were just like, I'm sorry, um, there's really not much you can do. We decided to do this. And, or were they uh, using your technology or your ideas? Or I would say about 70%. Wow, enough to change it so the patents won't protect you, but right, uh, exactly, definitely yeah. the inspiration behind it. Right. So that so was frustrating. That was like my first introduction to Israeli business. Okay? <laughs> <laughs> so in Toronto and Canada, there are more, I think, standardized policies. <laughs> Although it happens, it happens there too with universities. Sure. But, I mean, uh, one of the things that uh, you know we had also you had mentioned before we started the show. Uh, and it's, this is something that I've had issues with. Maybe we'll just elaborate just because you already touched on it. And that is dealing with bad partners, bad investors, you know, being naive. Like my wife always says, I'm just too naive, too nice, too, you know, too believing everybody is good. And, you know, what are your experiences and, you know, what can we learn from them? Well, I was definitely bitter after that, just to be honest. I mean, you know, 
Anybody would be, I would say. Sure. Uh, on the one hand, you know, eWaterTech to this day is still running. It's still a company uh, registered in Ontario and transferred here, but we don't have the same direction that we had before. Like that took the wind out of my sails. Sure. Completely. I was just a little thing and they're a huge the Technion. Right. You know, so it was hard as an entrepreneur for sure. And I decided, you know what? You have to keep going. You have to do something else. So what I decided to do is apply the technology to something else. And that is uh, shale gas fracking, uh, like oil drilling. Interesting. Here in Israel. Because I know Howard really, Jonas uh, is very big into that, right, doing that here in absolutely. Israel. Uh, He's been having some hard times, unfortunately, right. with red tape. Right, yeah. I read about that. He came to Israel and they had big plans and there was a lot of money behind it. And there was approved and then the last second it was not approved. Right, and Right, recently, unfortunately. There were a couple of times it went to court, etc. But he has a great thing going and uh, definitely... Israel uh, Energy Initiatives, I think that's it. Uh, yeah, yeah. So that company is doing some incredible things. Uh, great finds, lots of natural gas, and they could use this technology. But again, they came to a lot of red tape. It became problematic, but my technology would have been a perfect fit for that. Now that's it's a different thing. They were environmentalists, the greenies, they call them. Right. <laughs> but uh, he had his own share. I think to get over these types of things, you have to keep doing another project, keep going and trying to keep the Parnassa coming in, sure. even if it's trickling in for licensing and having the technology. Even in Houston, we introduced the technology there in Texas for the shale fracking, uh, for the shale gas. You patent that technology patent for shale. U.S., okay. yeah, and uh, Israel here. So that's another, there's always fronts opening up. Mm -hmm. And there'll be another one also. Sure. You know, there's bitterness on the one side and the skepticism, and you're dealing with people, but you learn your lesson and you move on. And I know that my grandfather, my grandfather was a very successful businessman. And he told me himself before he passed away, he has scars from, that never left. You know, that's just part of it. And luckily, thank God, we have the Torah and we have a way of knowing Kovona Shemaim, Gamzula Tova. Right. And, uh, you know, digging in your heels. See, it's funny. I, I, I want to touch on that because, yes, you know, at the end of the day, everything is Siata Deshmaya and everything right. is, is for the Tova and is for the best. But, you know, as you said, we, we have the Torah. And, and when usually when I get into a partnership, I, you know, or, or a business relationship, whatever, you, you know, and, and they're from, I say, okay, we're both bound by the same laws of the Torah. And, you know, sadly, you know, over the 20 years, I've seen that it's, you know, not always Money, been the case. I always say, like, well, but, but, but the Torah says differently. Well, you know, I so, always say, Reichman said this yeah. in Toronto, the famous. Uh, Paul Reichman, love shalom. He said, "Money has no religion. <laughs> Money has no religion." Okay, so you're doing some patent work and you're doing some licensing deals on the side, but all of a sudden you break into the media world, which is totally different. <laughs> I mean, maybe it touches on the, your music background right. a little bit, yeah. but you know, you're doing patent work, you're doing e-water tech, you're doing, you know, you move to Israel. All of a sudden, now you're decided, hey, I'm going into the media world, mm -hmm. and you come up with this idea. You're an author now. You published a book. You have a film that came out that, you know, let's hear how that started, where that came from and, you know, where you're holding today with it. Okay. First of all, you know, it doesn't exactly pay the bills just to get that out of the way. Right. You still need the rest of it, but it's getting more traction. It's gaining traction. It's getting there. It is connected, like you said, more to my musical, my creative background. I think that what happened was... uh I was just inspired from a religious perspective. This is stuff I love to do, okay? You know, there's always a job to, that you to have to do, and then there's the job that you love exactly. to do. So this is like a dream that now I have the actual chance to try to bring something out to help to contribute to the world, to inspire people, raise awareness, etc. Especially since I'm a big fan of making Aliyah and the future of Israel. It's really good PR. That's what this whole Ark Report project is. So I started this company, Moskov Media, 
a couple of years ago, and we started to basically I was doing a project since chi- almost childhood about the Makom Mikdash, where the temples stood on the Temple Mount, Tarabait, trying to get uh, people aware of the, the importance of it, especially now during the peace negotiations and all of that. You know, you can't sort of it's, it's related politically because it's such a sensitive subject. Sure. So all these different things started coming in, and I have this whole paper that I wrote, a white paper, about where the Ark is buried, the Ark of the Covenant, uh, the Arun of Bruce. You wrote, like, when did you write that? Over was that? years, just for myself. You just did your own hobby. research? Yeah. To learn. Okay. Just, um, you know, when I was here, I was in Kolel for a while. I started working on this stuff. So, uh, and now, too, I still learn a bit in the mornings, of course. So, Fantastic. Yeah, I try. It's very important. What I try to do is try to balance it out, which is very difficult, obviously. You know, you get home at night, and you have the bills, and you have everything to pay, but... At the essence of it, this is a, it's sort of like a, a window of opportunity I'm giving myself, like a couple of years to try and get this thing out. If it, it doesn't work, fine, you know. But in the meantime, I find that people are curious, not just the Jewish crowd, by the way, non-Jewish, these evangelical, you know, types that are very pro-Israel. They're right. also into this kind of stuff. They have their own agenda, of course. But, sure. you know, it's it's inspiring to a whole bunch of people. Well, tell us more about the ARC report. What is it? When did, is it a film first? Is it a movie first? Is it a um, book first? Well, it started out as this white paper, this research paper. Right. And the conclusions of which basically show that the Dome of the Rock is not the Makoma Mikdash. That's not the Evanishasiyah. It's not the foundation stone, the Kodesh Kodeshim. It's actually further to the southwest of that, closer to the Kotel area. And uh, underneath that is where the Ark would be buried and other Kalim, uh, but especially that. So I found, uh, I, I have all this evidence. This is a theory. I mean, you know, right. only Eliyahu Navi knows. <laughs> you know what I mean? But it's a theory, the Moscow theory. I came up with it and people started saying, why don't you make a video? They read through this paper, which is very technical. Okay. There's a lot of archaeology, a lot of details from the, you know, the Vernox of the sun and all kinds of different, uh, where it comes over uh, Harazasim and all these different aqueducts, you name it. The point is, is that I decided to make a video. Uh, it started well, then, we're talking about Harabites, we're talking about where the Ark is because the Ark was buried. Well, we don't know where it was buried, but it was buried outside Harabias, assumingly. Well, there's a, a bunch of different opinions, which are some of them obviously are valid. It says in the Talmud and uh, Midrashim, Zohar, etc. But the one that we focus on, which is based on the Rambam and later substantiated by Charles Warren, other archaeologists, and now I have there, there are actually some big rabbinim on board, but Moshe Sternbach, Shlita, etc. So. Basically pointing that the Makom Mikdash was further towards the Kotel, to the southwest, and therefore the Ark itself, which is buried directly underneath, is also in that spot, instead of like, you know, below the Dome of the Rock. Mm-hmm. So what we're basically finding is that there's a lot more, people are curious. So I made this short documentary called Soul of Mount Moriah. I think it's still available, maybe on YouTube. Uh, that was three or four. I'll years I'll try to ago. link to it in the uh, show notes. Oh, it's okay. The art, the, the actual the arc, arc report is part is better. Is, yeah. <laughs> okay. Because is that li- is that can that be watched somewhere online? Well, or the, trailer, you have to, the trailer. The trailer is actually available on the arcreportfilm.com. dot com. You can okay. see it there, amongst other places. And uh, so I ended up making a short feature film which is a sci-fi. I didn't want to be too specific. I wanted to make it more ambiguous, put in the clues, sort of like Alfred Hitchcock. It's like film noir, you know, in the future. And uh, we made this amazing film called The Arc Report. And it's still sort of in the festival circuit a little bit, but it's definitely different. It gets you to think. There's clues in there, and you sort of have to put the clues together like Alfred Hitchcock type. So interesting. And figure out if you can sit through. You know, it's 30 minutes, but most people are spoon-fed nowadays, you know? Right. In fact, my kids told me, look, Dad, you want to make it in this business? 
get a Lamborghini, <laughs> have it crash into a helicopter, and have some beautiful girl falling out of it with two machine guns, you know, <laughs> killing the, the bad guy, whatever. It has nothing to do with the plot. Just have that scene have in there. Have that scene in there, and then you'll, you'll do good. <laughs> anyway, so, but it did very well. It won gold uh, at the premiere in the US, which is great. It's right there, actually. It's one of the awards. Oh, wow. What's the, and, what's uh, called the gold Remy Award? Remy Award. Yeah, and they have the trophy downstairs. And this is some of the people that are involved. Mike Huckabee, who's now running for president, hopefully. Don't tell anybody. <laughs> Presidential hopeful. But he was very interested. He's all very... You've spoken you know, with him? Sure. That's the interview for the film right there. I'm looking. We're looking at a picture on, our, on my wall here in the office. Yeah. And that's Steve Lindy, who's the chief editor of J-Post, who's also uh, interviewed. And he's very much into this. Because at the end of the day, the ARC report... Is it's good PR for Israel. It's saying how important it is the Temple Mount, how what what's not just above but underneath the treasures, how it belongs. This you know the direct historical connection to the Jewish people. So all of that comes out in the film, and uh, not so much in the sci-fi version. But now we're making with these interviews, we're making and there's other politicians in there too. Danny Danon, who was Defense Minister, Deputy Defense Minister, Ambassador Alan Baker, who worked in my law office, the same office. So they're all chiming in about this because. At the end of the day, it is very, very important. And you see what's on the horizon now. So people are saying, wow, this is kind of curious. You know, you have Da Vinci Code and you have these big other epic blockbusters coming out. So I decided to write this book based on the film. Film came out first. Right. And then I, I said, you know what, let's do some presentations, some lectures and test the waters, like a, almost like a feasibility study. Right. And uh, see how it goes. And so then you came up with a book called The Arc Report based on these studies based on these interviews and uh, based on the the film itself. And the research, yeah. And the book, how can you get the book? The book's available on Amazon? Well, you can come to my office. It's right there. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, uh, it's on Amazon and it's on uh, Kindle. Okay. We're going to link to it in the uh, show notes. So that's fantastic. So where are we holding now? So where, like, what is your dream with Moskov Media? Like, was this just, are you going to be concentrating just on this specific area or do you have dreams for other type of in-depth reports or in-depth videos? Well, I'd like Moskov Media to be channeled out ideally. And if things keep going well, uh, it should hopefully go that, you know, before my own deadline comes, my own due date, you know. <laughs> but uh, we do want to make another documentary. I do want to be part of uh, Huckabee's campaign to contribute either as a so writer. So you're really, you're really into Mike Huckabee. Oh, Yeah. For sure, because he's he's been um, he's sort of you know when we were in New York doing the interview, uh, we were at the Huckabee show there on Fox, so it was very exciting. And all of this is this is completely the opposite end of doing you know e water tech and right. <laughs> sitting in a in a booth you know in a cubicle working on you know legacy systems and middleware solutions. So <laughs> this is what I love to do. You know, it's funny when I mean I didn't want, I don't really want to I mean maybe we could delve into uh, politics a little bit, but you know when you look at the uh, front runners for the Republican ticket. You know, I think pretty much all of them are pretty strong pro-Israel. Sure. You know, sure. I guess Mike Huckabee would be fantastic for Israel. Sure. And Ted Cruz is Ted great. Cruz is, is awesome. So, there's um, a bunch of them. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess it's not just – it's funny because when we look at politics today and what's going on with the Obama administration, right. it's like it just doesn't make sense how they view Israel. And, they view, and then you hear from every single Republican and even a lot of Democrats. And right. it's just like night and day between the White House and reality. <laughs> That's <laughs> you know? so funny because I write about that. Yeah. If you look in J-Post uh, today, it's, it was actually uploaded today. I'm a contributor actually now to J-Post and um, there's a, I have a blog column there called Moscow on the Mount. <laughs> oh, cool. And so just today I wrote, uh, they uploaded my latest 
piece there called Superpower Collisions, America and Israel, and how Israel is becoming the future superpower and what that means and how that's going to affect the U.S. and what's happening now vis-a-vis Iran. And oh, wow. It's heavy. I don't normally get into that, but I felt like I sort of have to because dealing with the ARC report and all these other things, it's sort of like part of it, the peace negotiations and how the State Department is really pressuring, really like now. Yeah, they're laying it on thick. I mean, they're releasing information about, you know, that's been ambiguous, you know, oh, that, private, yeah. you know, with uh, any nuclear technology that Israel may or may not have, right? They're just like, you know, pouring it out. And every second you hear another thing coming out of the White House against, you know, our prime minister and against Israel. And it's really mind boggling, actually. So um, if I could, you're asking me where I see Moscow. Media. So if I can somehow contribute to that, to try and, and inspire people that, you know what, Israel has a great future, we have these kalim and we have this holy connection to Eretz Israel, right. then that may hopefully have a ripple effect. And uh, there are people on side that are up there that really want to see this happen. So it would be good. You know, this has been a fantastic interview so far. I just wanted to go through a couple of more points that could be beneficial to our listeners. Sure. So moving further, you know, what would you say is one of your worst entrepreneurial moments? I think that in general, the worst moments for me happen when I'm out of focus. And uh, without mentioning a specific thing that happened, a specific time and detail, but basically when I decide to go against my own policy, when I misread the market, misread, you know, usually before a meeting, I have a SWAT chart. I do my research. I know exactly what I'm going to do, what I'm going to present. And then I go against that. We have a crazy story about going to France or something, Arab Pesach one year. What's that all about? Right. So that was an, another perfect example of misreading the market information, mis, in, misinterpreting the client. I had a client, I had an opportunity to go to France and uh, perhaps make this deal over there, business deal. And I, I took a great risk and I went just before Pesach, it was a couple of years ago, actually, like today. Right. <laughs> and, uh, and my wife, actually, she was at Sudeca, she let me go. And I was there and I met the people and it was not easy, but I found out that at the time it would have been better if I'd done my research the way I should have. I would have found out certain things that would have uh, saved me a whole lot of money and I ended up going, the deal didn't work out. Uh. And that's that's one example of just, and I came up just air of pace, like, like literally like an hour before the Seder or something. Oh, really? Yeah. From a, a fright from France. Wow, wow. And it was my own fault. For just not doing enough due diligence, you're saying? I, I didn't follow my own plan. I didn't do the due diligence and I misread it. So I ended up going all the way and I trusted these people without doing my own uh, homework, as it were. That happened a couple of times. And that's probably one of the biggest ones. I think a lot of times as entrepreneurs, we just try to jump in and we don't always do the due diligence that's necessary. And we're like, <laughs> we, we, we may preach it to other people, but when it comes to, to ourselves, just go, 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 go. And the truth you know, is, got to take a step back, you know, before you take the plunge. Yeah. If I had listened to your podcast, I probably, <laughs> I probably would have been better off. If I had listened to my podcast, I probably would have been better off a couple of times. Uh, and that's actually the point of this podcast. I mean, that's one of the things that we're doing here is that we want, you know, our fellow from entrepreneurs, we want them to learn from our mistakes and learn from, you know, we've done and try to save them some money, give them ideas and give them advice. Um, speaking of advice, what would you say is some of the best advice you've ever received? Well, there's different moments that have different types of advice. I mean, the latest one I received, it had to do with uh, accepting this award, you know, in Houston for the Moscow Media, the Gold Award, the Remy. And you're there with the lights and the cameras, which I'm not used to necessarily in the other lines of work, <laughs> certainly as a patent and trademark. <laughs> right. but, you know, but it's rewarding. And I think everybody personally, one of my personal recommendations is give yourself that pat on the back as an entrepreneur. When you have a success, enjoy it. I have a cigar over here. 
in my office, I have a, a little whiskey. And when I have a big success, I sit back and I enjoy the moment. And I remember seeing actually the Lubavitcher Rebbe, Lava Shalom. So I was there by Rosh Hashanah and he was blowing the shofar. This was 1990. Tafshin Nun. Oh, wow. At 770. You heard the Lubavitcher Rebbe blow the shofar? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, I was, I was really lucky. And uh, afterwards, I remember this, but right before Musaf, he sat down, not because he was just okay, he was tired, but I could see that he was appreciating whatever he accomplished in Ruchnias, and he was just taking the moment, and he was just appreciating that moment. I was like, oh my gosh, you know, these Tzadikim do it too. <laughs> I, I can do it. <laughs> I've seen that in a, in a bunch of different levels, and one of the things I've always wanted to, I find it helps me out a lot. Pat yourself on the back, get yourself a present if you had to. I have a Rolex that I always want to get myself <laughs> if I ever make a big enough accomplishment, so to right. speak. But that's one thing that I would personally recommend as my own advice to take that moment. And uh, when I was accepting this award, I remember sort of hearing in the back of my head on the way, on the flight, on the way there, I saw this, uh, it was Komen Shemai, I saw this uh, documentary about the Seattle Seahawks and their incredible comeback victory in the Super Bowl, NFL Super Bowl that year. And they were in this year too. But they were so this you know, they were so in the dumps before. No one thought anything of them. Right. So they're about to go. He just the quarterback is about to receive the MVP and Terry Bradshaw is there. So he asks them and you can hear this live. He's about to receive the award from Terry Bradshaw, the right. famous quarterback. And he goes, How do you do it? How do you take it from here? Because they still that was the AFC championship or something and they wanted to win the Super Bowl from there. How do you do it? What do you what takes it from what's the you know the gap analysis as I would say and from a techie perspective? What do you have to do to get from A to B to get there, you know, to make it? So he said like this, you have to be on purpose all the time. But he said when you're at the top of your game, he said you have to never let the moment catch up to you. He said, always play the game down. Always like downplay it. Like be focused, stay focused. This is a game, but you're on your game. You're on your purpose. You're on your mission. Don't let the moment, the hype catch up with you. And mm. so that was important when I was getting this award. I mean, hopefully there'll be many more, but I think that that's a very important thing to give over. And the other thing I wanted to give over was going all the way back as a teenager, one of my favorite musicians, I asked him for advice backstage. And I remember to this day, he said, Harry... You're either number one or you're... He was the best in the world. He was like top four or five jazz drummers, okay? What's his name? His name was Paul Motion. Paul Motion? Yeah. Okay. He was playing with Bill Evans and on the jazz, like he was like the top artsy, like the technique and style, played with Miles Davis. At any okay, rate, Miles Davis I heard of. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, uh, and afterwards, so he said, look, you're either number one or you're number two. You know, either you're number one, you're the best, or you're number two. No one ever heard of you. You know what I mean? Right. Like you're, everyone is number two. Everyone's number two. You either strive to be number one or and look, some people, this is why you're here. You're a leader. You're an entrepreneur. And many, it's, it's nothing wrong with being a follower. It's great. You know, and you can have a great life. You can contribute. You can be a tzaddik. But if you want to be a leader, if you want to be a business owner and you want to make and you want to contribute and put a ripple out there in the world and make your millions, chances are you have to be number one and you have to know the difference. Are you number one or are you number two? And that stood with me to this day. Interesting. You know? Yeah. I'm just going to go with one last question because time is uh, of the essence on Erev Pesach. But what would you say, you know, I know uh, a great Siata Deshmaya story or a Siata Deshmaya moment you can leave with us and inspire us. Well, you have to look for those moments. I call them those those surreal moments. 
It doesn't matter if you're a musician or it has to flow. And when you're in the groove, when you're making, when things are happening and, and they're connecting, and whether you're at a conference or you're speaking at a lecture, you're lecturing or you're making a film, you're really into it or you're writing a patent or whatever it is, you know when it's going to work. And that's the site, you know, instead of saying, wow, you know, the site to Dishmaya moment, it came to me like Gilui Eliyahu or something, right. you know, the point of the matter is that you have to believe in yourself and you have to know that each person has their hour and yours is going to come too. You know, that's the bottom line. And once you get a moment like that, where you know it's working, you sort of lose yourself in it, in that moment that you start wanting to feel that moment again. And it starts, starts getting like, when am I going to have that moment again? You know, where everything is coming together right. and they don't come often, but when they do, you know it. And you so just, the, you just feel Hashem's presence and yeah. helping you. And, and you know that you're doing what you're meant to do in life and it's coming. The money's coming and the, the, the recognition and appreciation. Sometimes you have to wait for it, but, uh, those moments are there. Funny. I'm not sure if I said this in a, another podcast or if, uh, but it's definitely worth repeating in any case. Rabbi Winston. You know, I once went to him and I said to him, how do I know that I'm doing what Hashem wants me to be doing? I have this business idea, like, how do I know Hashem wants me to go out and do it and accomplish it? He said, when you see abnormal siyata deshmaya, then you know you're doing what Hashem wants you to be doing, right? So when you're working on a project, you're working on a film and you get that siyata deshmaya, you're meeting people like your presidential hopeful, uh, Mike Huckabee, and, you know, you're winning awards and stuff. And you see that siyata deshmaya, then you know you're on the right path. So, uh, with <laughs> oh, the- I have to, I have to tell you that I yeah. think you're on the right path uh, <laughs> because just before I'll say this to your listeners, just before this interview, I found your very first business card. <laughs> That's you have <laughs> from way Koof. going back. Koof. Yeah. Going way back. And I just happened to find it literally an hour before this interview. I found uh, I was cleaning for Pesach and I'm, I'm looking at my old, uh, this card Rolodex over there. That's and so this funny. card out of all of them comes out. <laughs> so I'm like, wow, this is such a smart. It's meant to be. Yeah, it's a great uh, Yeshakov. Well, Harry, this has been absolutely fantastic. <laughs> Thank you for sharing um, your story with us. Thank it you. It is very inspirational. And, you know, the ARC report, we're going to link to it on our web notes uh, as well as a lot of the other things that we talked about on this podcast. And I look forward to uh, having you back on the show and seeing some more great things from uh, Moscow Media. Thank you. Amen. <laughs> all right. Thank you. Yeshakov. Live from Beit Shemesh and broadcasted around the world, you are listening to the From Entrepreneur Podcast with your host, Naham Kligman. Interviews and advice from Jewish entrepreneurs from around the world. Listen, learn, be Masliach.